Welcome back, Richard. Today we're going to talk about something that is hot in the news uh, because of a some re- recent congressional uh, discussions and uh, testimonies about social media, uh, Facebook in particular, uh, but social media in general. Right, and 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 um, Instagram even more. Well, Facebook and Instagram because Facebook owns Instagram. Right. Um, yeah, th- this is a this is a, a topic that really hit the news. The past couple of weeks, because at the beginning of October, uh, the Wall Street Journal ran a series of articles on this issue of Facebook and um, how it damages um, particularly children, but it also, um, uh, they say, damages democracy as well. And then a week later, the whistleblower, her name is um, Frances Haugen, um, testified in front of a Senate subcommittee. And so once again, it made the news. So two weeks in a row, this, um, this, this article about Facebook um, hits the, all the news uh, outlets and, um, and had a particularly profound effect on parents because much of the news reported was about how Instagram hurts uh, teenagers, especially teenage girls. As soon as parents see this, you have confirmation bias because, aha, I knew this was the problem. Now I have proof. Right. And, and we've talked about this before um, on, on previous podcasts about, right. you know, when we talked about gaming and how, you right. know, uh, game um, developers, you know, they, they develop in, in such a way that it keeps you engaged and keeps you connected. And um, we've talked about um, the algorithms before. And that's what this was really about is the algorithms right. that... You know, pick up little tidbits of information here and there from what you're searching for on Amazon, or you know what you have on your computer, or different cookies that are that you have on your computer, right. and then right. they, from there it gathers that information and makes decisions about what kind of advertising to put in front of you, or what type of um, information to share with you, and um, so it's very targeted, and and that's part of the part of that testimony, part of the big concern mm-hmm. is about the. <clears throat> the nature of that targeted marketing. That's right. That's right. What is it? The, the algorithms and an algorithm is just a decision-making process. Um, if I go on and I look up something about ancient Egypt, uh, that's going to determine what comes into my computer after that. If you're looking up um, what, what's the latest football championship, a soccer uh, championship, that's what's going to come into your computer. So it knows these are smart programs. They know what we're doing. They know what we're looking at. And they send us that information. So, and, and it doesn't come in in chronological order. It comes in in sort of what's most important to you. What, what does the algorithm think is most important to you? And so it, it also selects what it's pushing to you, how much and, and how intense. And so what happens with teenagers is if you look up um, losing weight, um, and you're looking up some uh, clothes for teenagers, well, the algorithm knows that you're a teenager looking to be thin. And so then it starts flooding your computer with all that information. And that's not coming into my computer because right. I'm not looking that stuff up. It's coming into their computer. Well, and, and we, you know, generally speaking, we like these algorithms. Mm-hmm. We like them at different times because, you know, it is the same types of algorithms that Netflix uses to suggest other shows that you might like, or, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon Music or Amazon itself uses to let you know what you right. might like and what you might want to purchase next. So we like those algorithms in many ways um, and in some contexts, but in other contexts, it can create significant problems. Right. And Amazon does that. You know, people who bought this liked this. Remember, 
And I, I assume Amazon still does that because yeah. people who ordered this also ordered these things. Right. And so it, it sends you the information that it knows you're interested in. So right. in a way, that's a service. Right. However, it can be a disservice. And what this woman is saying, what this woman was testifying about is these, this is, she was telling us the downside, the disadvantage, especially to teenagers. It, ha- it, it happens to all of us, but it's especially um, significant, important, insidious when it happens to teenagers. Right. Yeah. And, and from that perspective, you know, in her testimony, she said that um, she feels as though Facebook and other forms of social media um, can really harm children. You know, mm-hmm. it can, it can um, really, right. as you said, you know, undermine democracy, but it can, um, you know, it's very capitalistic. And, and focuses on profits. So it pushes you know, products and different things right. um, because, you know, it, it's using those algorithms to decide that this is what you would want to buy. And so you're going, it's going to put it in front of you. And, um, but it, it's not just purchasing from the perspective of buying a product. It's, it's um, you know, purchasing from the perspective of, you know, buying a bill of goods as far as what is attractive or what, what I need to be doing or what, what is appropriate for somebody my age to be doing. And, and that is a, that is a very different sort of set of circumstances that causes problems. Again, especially for teenagers. That's right. 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 And there's, so there's nothing new in her testimony. I mean, people have talked about this before we've talked about it. The difference is, is that this particular person is uh, Francis Haugen. Uh, knows what she's talking about because she worked at Facebook right. and um, she was a data analyst. She worked on the algorithms. So she, she knew the inside and this was, she might get in trouble for this, but she pr- also provided thousands of pages of documentation of internal documents that show that Facebook knows that, that this is happening mm-hmm. and they're, they're not talking about it. And they compared it to the tobacco companies where the tobacco companies in the fifties and sixties knew that tobacco was not was was creating health problems but they hid their they hid those studies from public view and so um, some people are uh, in fact the the legislators who heard this testimony um, likened it to the to the tobacco companies in the 60s and so um, but her testimony brought brought up um, three important issues that we all struggle with one is there's no fact checking right okay and second there's no source checking mm-hmm. and third much of facebook and especially instagram and i think instagram more than anything else right. um that those but all social media target children and teenagers but you know advertisers have always done this right i mean when do we watch cartoons what did we also see advertisements for cereal and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't life cereal. it wasn't um Great nuts. It was um, frosted flakes and things that would appeal to children. So, children, advertisers have always pitched to this demographic. As soon as they realized it, right after World War II, that teenagers became a demographic. And since then, we've always advertised to teenagers. It's just that this is a very, this is a, a much more powerful medium than previous advertisers. Okay. So, let's talk about no fact checking. Right. You know, historically, um, in the past, news sources of news and information, whether it was newspapers or TV or whatever, you know, they were um, obliged. They were determined 
um, mm-hmm. you know, to always make sure that they checked and sometimes oftentimes even double checked or triple checked um, mm-hmm. the, the information that they got from various sources. They wanted, mm-hmm. uh, they wanted to have um, multiple sources. They wanted to have, they wanted to really mm-hmm. put together the information so that they knew that whatever they were presenting was factual. Um, and, and so and we've seen that with loads of other, um, you know, loads of um, reports and stuff from the past. Mm-hmm. Today is very different. Today, it's instead of making sure that it's factual. Today seems to be it seems to be more of a race who can get it out there. Oh, that's, that's right. um, so as soon as something is out there, as soon <laughs> as there's some you know source of information, that information is presented as news, um, right. whether it's valid or invalid. Um, you know they'll go back and they'll check it and, and change it later um, if they need to, or adjust it over the next twenty four hours that they'll be reporting right. on. Right. Um, but they, the, the, the plan is to get the information out there as fast as possible. That's right. In the past, you know, the, the two examples of this, one is Dan Rather. Dan Rather sort of took over after, I think, Walter Cronkite, highly respected news um, person for years and for decades. Okay? He ran one story when, when I think George Bush was running in his first term. He ran one story and it turned out to be inaccurate. He's never been on since then. One story, one inaccuracy ruined his career. When a Watergate, the Watergate committee was meeting, um, when Woodward and Bernstein wanted to publish this, their editor, Ben Bradley, made them document every single source. He was, and if you ever watch the movie or read the books, he was adamant that they had to be absolutely certain that they got it right. And because they had a source, but nobody knew who, exactly who the source was. And it made the newspaper very um, um, uh, nervous because in those days, and we're talking about the 60s through the 90s, in those days, if you published something that was inaccurate, it could ruin your career as it ruined Dan Rather's career. And Ben Bradley knew that it would ruin his career. So you never published anything unless you were absolutely certain that it was accurate. Today, that doesn't exist. That ethic no longer exists. Um, We, you know, you all remember alternative facts. You remember when that came out? You know, well, there's facts and there's all strange notion that there would be alternative facts. But there is no, when you listen to the news today, no matter what the news is, um, they call themselves news programs and they, they act as though they're news programs, but they, but they don't have the same um, obligation to present the truth. They present whatever will go viral, whatever will be read and talked about. That's right. the issue today. What will go viral? What will, cap- what will capture people's attention? Right. And, and so in Facebook and other forms of social media, you know, follow along with that you know they, they don't consider themselves news well that's the whole thing facebook wasn't it wasn't the new york times it right. never it never built itself it was a social media platform right. they didn't care about veracity right they didn't care whether it was the truth that's up to you it's just posted just put it up there and see what happens well yep. what happened was it became dangerous Right. Yeah, because the only thing that it was focused on was keeping you on the screen, keeping you connected and logged into Facebook. That was their challenge. Their challenge from the very beginning was how do we keep people in front of the screen? Which which makes complete sense. I mean, that's what business sense. That's Mm -hmm. what a game would do. A game would keep want to keep you playing the game. Um, How do you how do you uh, how do you keep people glued to the commercials with TV? You turn the volume up. mm -hmm. You know, we do the same thing with TV. 
is that we do with Facebook. But you're right. It was never there. Until, I mean, there's, they have no obligation to tell the truth. Their, their only goal was to keep you in front of the screen so that you would be available to advertisers. Right. So, so, what, um, so what has happened, of course, is that people have found ways to use social mm-hmm. media as a way to disseminate information, not news and not facts, but information. Right. Um, and, and it has been done and it continues to um, use the algorithms that keep you right. connected by keeping that information coming to you and keeping you engaged. Right. Right. And in fact, section, there's a law that says you can't, it, it, it immunizes social media companies right. from being sued over what's posted. Right. So there's a built-in protection that they, they don't, not only do they now have the obligation, they're protected legislatively from, from being, from being um, sued over what they post. Right. And, and going along with this was that second point that you made of um, there's no because that was no fact checking. There's no source checking. People, anybody can post anything about anything. <laughs> and they can say anybody said anything about whatever. Right. Um, and so, you know, anybody, can, you can have a, um, your, your profile can be under anybody in any name. It have to be right. your specific name. It doesn't have to be you. You can lie. Right. I mean, kids are, kids are on Facebook. You have, how old do you have to be to have Facebook? I think 13. Right. 13. Um, I think and, and I think, yeah, I think Instagram and Snapchat and a lot of those are, I think, at 13 that you have to be before you can. But an 11-year-old can lie. Absolutely. You know, so it, that's not their problem. They don't see it as their problem. Okay. Usually no, all they do is ask. Right. That's right. And I think when, when Zuckerberg first uh, was at heart, when he first developed this, this platform, um, nobody could predict the influence that it would eventually have. I mean, the problem is, is its own success. I mean, that's what's, that's what's causing the problem because it has become powerful because there, you talk about no source checking. Once something is posted, the algorithm takes over, right? It it doesn't, all you have to do is put it up from that point, the algorithm takes over. Yeah. And then it has a life of its own. Right. And, and, and we've seen, um, you know, as it relates to, you know, Russia's involvement in the 2016 election. And, and um, you know, and, and certainly I'm sure whether there are things that we know about or things that we don't know about, there have been influences from different sources about all kinds of things over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, you, it's just posted there. Anybody can post about anything and then it's there and it doesn't go away. Um, and, 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 and it's there and available. Right. And, and lawmakers were shocked when they heard the, her testimony, you know, that it lures children and exploits them. And my comment would be, duh, that's exactly what it's designed to do. That's what it was from the very beginning is to keep you there and keep you interested. I remember this was many years ago. When Do you remember when Facebook came out? What year? Um, I, I don't remember what year. Um, it was in the night. It was in the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Because an elderly friend of mine, a person older than I am, um, what, after the person retired, um, we ran into each other. And this person said to me, I, I see what people are talking about with Facebook. The person had just begun to use Facebook. She said, I spent four hours on it the other night. She said, you just keep going and going and going and going. Right. And so from the very beginning, Mm-hmm. That's what it does. It lures you in and it takes you down these rabbit holes and you can spend hours and hours and hours. And people say that I, I spent eight hours on Facebook and didn't realize it. Right. And, and, and you mentioned earlier that 
um, Facebook owns Instagram and, and mm. probably more so than Facebook. Instagram really is designed um, or seems to be designed specifically for younger people. Mm -hmm. um, so 13 and up, I think, again, I think you have to be 13 to have a, but, but we know that kids younger than 13 have, uh, have, you know, accounts. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if, a, if you go on there and you're, you're searching for something and there's lots of different right. things you can search for, and you're, you mentioned this example earlier, if you're searching for, you know, um, what looks attractive or um, ideal body weight or mm -hmm. any of those kinds of things, ways to lose weight, um, all kinds of things pop up. And now your profile is targeted as being interested in that. And it's right. the algorithm is going to take, again, take over and it's going to keep feeding you all of these things. And, and what happens is you may be looking for something very specific, but right. it's going to then identify anything that's sort of on the periphery of that. Anything that's related. Mm -hmm. And then you look at something from the periphery and then you're going to look at the periphery of that. And it, and from right. there, you can expand it. You can go in, in ridiculously crazy directions right. with right. it. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your 13 year old is, is finding all kinds of things mm -hmm. um, and information that has, you know, that, that it can be dangerous for them. That's right. That's right. Be, and we'll talk about some of that stuff later, but you're right. Um, it, it, the nobody's deciding what you get, the algorithm's deciding. Right. And it's just, no one's deciding. It's just what's sent. It, that's just what's sent to you. Right. Okay. There's no, there's no person behind it making right. a decision. Um, so, so she said that, um, that she, and Haugen said, well, this is intentional. And I thought, yes, it certainly was. Of course it was intentional. That was exactly the business model that, that they, they designed and they used. Okay. But the question is, is it harmful is, and now we're going to talk about Instagram and Instagramming girls, because the, the much of the research has been done on girls and I don't. I don't know the, the research on, on boys, but most of the research I found was on girls. Mm -hmm. So it said one of the comments in her testimony was that Facebook, Facebook itself, its own researchers, found that 13.5% of girls from the teen girls from the UK, 6% of American girls say that their suicidal thoughts became more frequent after they started using um, Instagram. That sounds horrible. Right. But if you look at the numbers and another, there was another article that talked about this, this was based on 16 girls. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's, and that's the problem. People say, well, you can do anything you want. No, you, you have to know that 16 girls doesn't represent anything. I mean, these right. are 16 individuals who knows where they came from. It, they could, doesn't matter. 16 is not enough to make a decision. So the number like 13% looks terrible. And she said, well, that's based on, so do we know? No, the issue is we really don't know if Instagram is the problem. Okay. Right. Yeah, and, and because when you're looking at so few, um, mm -hmm. you know, 6% of, of uh, 16, it, it could have been one, one girl. Right, exactly, um, it could have been one out of the group. Mm -hmm. So, so it, 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 could be, it could be higher than the, those numbers could be um, lower estimates or they could be, mm -hmm exaggerated estimates. We, right. we don't know. And so we have to be careful what we conclude and we have to, we, we need more research. Right. On the other hand, and, right. and, and so you have to be very careful when you read these statistics to make sure you know um, you, you, that you understand where those numbers come from and, and do they really reflect, do they really represent the problem? Okay. But on the other hand, 
in, in fairness here. Another study found that 17% of teen girls said their eating disorders got worse after using, after using Instagram. Now, Facebook says that it's working on this and it's trying to take care of it, but another report found that 22 different hashtags promoting eating disorders still existed on Instagram and they were connected to more than 45 million eating disorder related posts and that 86% of the eating disorder posts were pushing unapproved appetite suppressants and that 53% directly promoted eating disorders. And so there is a problem, right. we acknowledge that, but we, and, and that, that's where most of it, that's where parents are caught because on the one hand, we're not sure that it is harmful, but we know that it has the potential to be harmful because of the algorithm. Right. And, and so, and this is sort of the way that some of these things, these things can happen. And, and those of you who use these um, social media apps, you know, you know this, but um, if, if I had a, um, if I had a gummy vitamin and I wanted to say that my gummy vitamin cures um, autism, um, I put it out there and I can say, you know, use a hashtag, hashtag cure autism or um, just hashtag autism. And then anytime someone searches for, aut you know, hashtag autism or hashtag autism cure, um, my mine will pop up. Mine will be mm -hmm. one of the ones that pops up. And the more people that click on it, the more popular it becomes. Um, and the, the more, more often it's it, The more often it's going to show up and the higher in the order it's going to show up for people who search. Every, everything online uses that algorithm from Google um, searches to Facebook and Instagram and everything else. And so, you know, if, believe it or not, folks, there are groups out there that promote eating disorders. Um, there are websites for it and all kinds of things. Um, and so if they want to, you know, push their perspective, they use some of these hashtags that then get picked up. And then the more people that click on them, the more people, the more popular it becomes. So in, in, you know, when we call it viral, it really is viral because it just spreads so quickly. Right. Um, and, and it just, it just perpetuates anything, uh, again, anything that comes close to that topic. Right. You know, this happened with and this happens with the anti-vaccination movement. Right. Prior to COVID, there was a very active group pushing anti-vaccine. Well, it was later discovered that all that information is coming from six or seven individuals right. who just keep producing this stuff. Mm -hmm. And more and more people go into those sites and it and it goes viral. That that's but but it's all coming from six or seven individuals. Okay? Right. Yeah. So um so can parents do anything about this? So the issue becomes, um, there is a potential for danger here. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is, but we know that there is a potential for danger. So can parents do anything about it? Um, when I think about this, about this whole social media thing, and I'm, I'm really a, a novice, I think of Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> Robert Oppenheimer was the head of the Manhattan Project right. that developed the atomic bomb. And when they exploded it here to test it, he said, oh, it worked because they didn't know whether it would work or not. Right. But after it was dropped on Hiroshima and it killed a few hundred thousand people, he has this very famous Hindu quote that says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. In other words, he spent the rest of his life trying to end nuclear proliferation. 
Mm -hmm. But once that bomb was exploded, it was too late. It was, the genie was out of the bottle and there was, there's nothing that anybody can do about it. And that's what happened with social media. The genie is out of the bottle. There's nothing we can do about it. The, the only thing, you'd have to live in a mountain somewhere away from everything right. to not be exposed to social media. So yeah. this is, so, so we have social media. There's really nothing we're going to do about any of these things. And you can't keep your kids off. Right. And, and the, you know, there's, um, th there's loads of examples, um, mm -hmm. you know, and we've had patients, right. Where um, patients who, who demonstrate this very well, that, you know, you can be off of social media for a year or longer. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but as long as that social media platform is still there, the next mm -hmm. time you log in, all your algorithms, everything else, is, everything is still there. It's you know, all still there. Right back. It, it's also permanent. Okay, it, it doesn't go away. I mean, it doesn't fade. And there's this story that one of the articles talks about, about a mother who was struggling with her daughter who had an eating disorder. And after 18 months of medical care and institutionalization, they finally gave her her phone back <laughs> with all kinds of controls built into it. Mm -hmm. She had gotten around all those controls in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So the minute she got it back, within 30 minutes, after being absent for 18 months, within a half hour, she got around all of her parents' controls and she was back on her browser, her browser, okay? She entered those apps and they were all still there. All of everything she needed was all still there. And mm -hmm. she relapsed. Okay. And, and she said, the mother said, once you look at one video, the algorithm takes off and they don't stop coming. It's like dominoes falling. And that's exactly what it's supposed to do. Okay. Right. And so, yes, but the problem is, is Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat the problem? Right. And I think what reasonable people are beginning to say is that it's not these platforms that are the problem. But it is that um, that they're easy. They become easy scapegoats right. to relieve parents of the burden of what of more thoughtful parenting. And what I mean by that is, when my parents, when I raised my first son, who's now forty, I had none of this, mm -hmm. and so I could raise him a certain way. When I raised my second group of children, I had all this and it required a completely different type of parenting. Okay. And, and so you can't, most parents can't use the parenting that their parents use because we live in a completely different world. So it's not the fault of the media. It would be like my grandparents complaining about TV. Right. My parents had to monitor my TV viewing, their parents didn't have to monitor their children's TV. didn't exist right. when my parents were young, okay? And so we can, it's easy to blame the platforms, but that, if you do, parents who do that, if they only blame the platform, they're, they're, they're avoiding their responsibility of being a parent in the internet age. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that that Facebook and all of these things are are profit companies. They're they're for profit. Their goal is to make more money. And and oh, we live in we live in a um, capitalistic capitalist, capitalist uh, country country. And and so that's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. They're allowed to do that. Um, 
they, they have no obligation to do anything about it. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it's difficult to blame them from the perspective of you know, this is part of their profit. Um, this is part of their, their, their business plan to, to make money. Um, and so it does come back to parents and the parents need to um, watch and monitor and be involved um, to make sure that their kids are being safe. That's right. That's right. And, and well, we're going to get into what I, some tips that, um, that we think parents ought to be attending to, mm -hmm. but um, with now that we have the reality of these things. Okay. But one of the, um, to, to that point that you made about these are for-profit companies, um, they're, they, they don't have to check their sources. That's not, they're not considered traditional news outlets, but even, even today's traditional news outlets don't worry too much about the truth. They just want to get information out there. I think it's the news organizations are now copying Facebook and mm -hmm. social media. Right. Um, and, but there, one of the memos said that more than 40% of Instagram's users are 22 years old and younger. So Facebook knows how many teenagers are on um, and are vital to the company's roughly $100 billion. Can't even imagine. That's a lot of <laughs> Just money. Instagram, mm -hmm. $100 billion in revenue a year. And as Instagram is well positioned to resonate and win with one with young people, there is a path to growth if Instagram can continue their trajectory, which means from a business standpoint, let's keep doing what we're doing because it's successful in generating hundreds of billions of dollars. Right. Okay. So that's but they have they're they're a private company, they have a right to do that. Okay. Right. So again, I think that we need to think about, you know, what is really, so if, we, if we're saying that we can't blame the, the social media companies because this is their business plan, their business plan is to make money. Um, and clearly they make a lot of money. Um, Instagram's making a hundred billion dollars a year. Um, you know, what the, we, we have to re realize, I guess, that the, the problem goes a little bit deeper than just saying, well, we just got to keep them off their phones. We just got to keep them off of these social media. Um, I lose my mind, right? It's not going to happen. That's not realistic. Yeah. First of all, we're not going to get rid of these things. Second, we're probably not going to, we're probably, it's going to be very difficult controlling this, this thing that's already out there. I think, I think, the, I think Congress is going to try to, to address the problem in some way. I'm not sure how, I mean, we still build, we still make cigarettes. You know, uh, and, and so I don't I don't think any of this is going to end. I think this is the media that's here and we're going to have to learn how to use it. But it's only part of a larger problem. Yeah. And the larger problem. And uh, I want to be very careful with this. We we're, we're posting an article that was written by Jordan Shapiro, who teaches at Temple uh, University. Uh, in part, we chose this because he's written a pretty good book called The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World. And right. he's a pretty thoughtful guy. Um, but what he's saying, and, and I just want to uh, sort of summarize this, is that our culture um, is, is rewards girls for looking good. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole culture is based is based on that okay um and and he said 
I, this is a quote, I personally have no fondness for Mark Zuckerberg, but when it comes to children's well-being, I try to be careful to not let te technophobic prejudice shape my thinking, okay? In this case, in my view, social media is not the problem. It's just the technology that we're using. It is it, this at this particular moment in history. Mm -hmm. We've always had this. Um, uh, all that social media doing is, is it's amplifying sort of uh, cult family conventions and cultural conventions and, and attitudes about beauty and sex and consent and gender. Okay. Right. That that all that exists. That exists on TV. It exists in magazines. That has always existed. Social media has simply amplified that because of its ability to go viral. Right. It's just um, increased its availability and accessibility. Right. That's, That's it. right. Yeah. And so. Um, he goes, he has a lot of other information there, but, um, but, but that's his main message. And he says, our cultural standards around beauty, gender, and sex are immensely painful for teen girls to navigate. Right. And those are the problems that we should be talking about. And he said that, and that's where he takes everybody to task. He said, we're not talking about that. We're blaming social media. Social media is not going anywhere. And social media didn't, didn't create the problem. Right. It exploited the problem didn't create the problem. Right. Okay. So let's think about some things that parents can do right. um, to, to help with this. And the, and the first is, is really realizing that technology is not really the problem. Right. Um, and that, as you've said uh, multiple times, um, we're not going to get rid of it. Mm. It's not going to go away. Right. You know, you, you think one thing goes away and then all of a sudden here comes TikTok. Um, <laughs> oh God, you know, that's right. And <laughs> it's just... Um, and, and they keep refining it and making it easier and faster, you know, because remember it was, um, I don't remember what the first one was, but then there was Periscope and there was, um, you, you know, all of these different little short I, video things that, I, you, yeah. mm -hmm. things that you could post. And now here's TikTok, which is just kind of taken over everything. Right. Um, so technology is not the problem. Um, mm -hmm. We're not going to, we're not going to take that away. Nope. And, and there are many reasons why youngsters have low self-esteem and they develop eating and, and disorders and they engage in self-harm. And we need to start thinking about all of those things. Right. Okay. That's what Shapiro's point is. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, this is the technology we have and the technology that we use. I'm always, um, uh, it's always humorous to me. Um, Socrates opposed the teaching of reading. Right. Uh, it was a new technology. I always laugh about that. Um, Socrates was opposed to the new technology of his day, which was reading, because he said, well, if we teach them how to read, they're not going re to have to learn how to listen, because in his day, you spoke and people listened carefully. You know, you could, people could memorize long passages because right. that's what they did. They spoke and they listened. And he said that reading is going to ruin everything. So right. even back then, people were, Socrates was complaining about the new technology. Right. So, so the realization is that technology always shapes the world within which it was created right. and, and it continues to evolve. And, and so as parents, we have to evolve with it. We have to recognize that we have to change our perspectives of these things to fit the new circumstance. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and the next, I think Shapiro was right in that regard, but know what's really causing the problem and deal with those things. Um, uh, at the risk of, I guess, a trigger warning is due. We're going to say the word pornography. 
pornography is a very big concern today. About right. so okay, um, but it's it's accessible and it's free, and and kids are going to go there. They're going to access it. Okay, right. but I like Howard Stern had a comment about that. He said he was he was a teenager at the time, and his mother found a magazine. Uh, Playboy magazine and um, in, in his bedroom or something. And she took him out to the kitchen. They said, opened up the magazine and said, Howard, you see this, these, these women. He said, that's not what women really look like. He said, women look like your aunt and your grandmother <laughs> and that woman across the street, you know, she was talking about neighbors. That's what women really look like. And he said it had a profound effect on him. That's the conversations that he had with his mother. And I, and I think a similar thing is that TikTok isn't the problem. The problem is using TikTok five or six hours a day. Right. The excessive okay. use of anything is the excessive problem. Excessive use. That's right. And that's the problem. It's the same with pornography. Kids are going to access it. It becomes a problem if they're addicted or using it excessively. Well, in video games, right? We've talked about video games a um, mm-hmm. You know, the excessive use of video games. Um, right. And, and that's... You know, um, you, you mentioned the pornography, and, and that's so, that's such a different scenario because um, any use of that can can have lasting problems lasting uh, right. with young mm-hmm. kids. But you know, you think about things like video games or social media, some of the social media that we've been talking about. Right. That's the stuff that um, a little use may be okay. But when you're using it for hours and hours and hours every day, that's when it becomes a, a significant problem. Um, and, I think you're right. I think video games are, are a better example. Right. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with video games. Right. But if you're playing them for seven or eight hours a day, right. that's the problem. Right. Yeah. And so, so it's not that we have to get rid of video games. It's that we have to do a better job of managing our kids' access and use of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not using them in, inappropriately like that. That's right. Now, when we talk about parenting, what we mean is this. If you don't want your son, and boys typically are the ones who are playing video games. If you don't want your son to play video, I'll, oh, that's another story. Tangent, but I'll back. If you don't want your son to play video games for five or more hours uh, during the school year, during the school day, then you have to put something else in your son's schedule. Okay, this is the difference in parenting that I, re- that I alluded to earlier. My mother didn't have to put anything into my schedule because I had plenty to do, at homework and school and sports, and, and you were too. You were always very active. Right. Your mother didn't have to create activities for you. You had plenty to do. It was a matter of organizing your life around all the activities that you had to do. Okay, That doesn't exist today. This is a different world today, and it requires a different kind of parenting. So... You have to put something else in their in their day. It's the same with your daughters. Right. You talk about my daughter's addicted to her cell phone and never leaves her hands. That's excessive use. The problem is, is that we allow our children to be idle. We allow, we don't have any expectations of them in right. terms of chores and taking care of the house or having obligations. And then we blame the devices for taking their time. And that's right. what I meant about lazy. Pa- that's what I mean when I say lazy parenting. Right. You don't want to structure your children's life, but then you want to blame the devices. It's not the device's fault. Right. And many of these kids can't structure their life. No. 
no. because the, the reality is, is that most of the parents have probably spent the first 15 years of their kid's life structuring it for them. And then right. now suddenly at 15, they're expecting them to structure it themselves and they don't have the skills. They can't. Yeah. Somebody yeah. has always structured it for them. That's right. They don't have the ability to do it. They, and they have nothing else to do. I mean, kids come home from school if they don't have homework and have not involved in athletics or dance or some other activity, they have nothing to do. Right. I mean, it would be 50 years ago, kids in a similar station would come home and watch TV, right. especially if the weather was bad, you know, if it's raining or cold or whatever, they would watch TV. Um, there's no difference really, except there's so much more available and it's so much more compelling today. And so parents have a very different parenting challenge today because of the media. And, and that's what you have to learn how to do. You have to learn how to become a parent in the internet age. Right. So they, so they can have their phone. They just right. don't have to have their phone all the time. They don't have to have their phone when they're doing, you know, you know while they're doing other things, that's they, right. They could be doing other things. The example I give is you, there's a meal to be prepared at the end of the day, dinner or supper, whatever you call it. Most children don't participate in the preparation. They might sit at the table, but they don't participate in cleaning up after that. And when I talk about adding something to their day, why aren't children involved in preparing, eating? You know what most kids, many kids do? Their meals are delivered to them in their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. They not only don't have to prepare, they don't right. even have to sit at the table and certainly not clean up. Right. It's delivered, parents deliver meals to their bedrooms right. because they're playing video games. Right. That's not the video game's fault. Right. That's because these kids don't have enough to do. They are left with large hours of idle time, and they're filling it with the uh, technology that's available, right. just as we did with television. Right. Okay. So that, that's, that then is, is the moral of the story. Mm -hmm. You know, technology isn't the problem. Kids just need to have things in their day to do that keeps them from spending hours upon hours connected and, right. on, on the media. And that means parents have to be more involved with their kids. They have to be more engaged with their kids and they have to figure out a schedule that fills up the large blocks of time that these children have. Right. right? And you, it's okay to have a cell phone. But I remember when my daughters played tennis, there were girls who would, during tennis matches, they would have their cell phones in their bags and in the breaks between points or between sets, they'd be texting, they'd be on their phones. Mm -hmm. You don't need your phone at a tennis match or at a soccer match. Put them away. There's a time when you don't need, you don't need them at the dinner table. You don't need them to go to bed with you. There right. are alarm clocks. You don't need your phone because the phone is going to be buzzing all night long. It's going to keep you up. Okay. So there are times, you said moments ago, um, you, you, you don't always have to have your phone. There are times when you really don't need it. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But Absolutely. what do kids tell you? The parents say, well, you don't need it during homework. Oh, yeah, I do because I have to look stuff. My teacher, that's where their lessons are. Mm -hmm. You know, so. You have to, yeah, you have to find ways around the, those things. That's so. right. That's, that's the work right. that parents have to do. So. Right. Parenting is, parenting is very, very different in the, for the Internet generation. It's a completely different set of challenges. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, with that, I think that's it for today. Okay. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.